Comedy is booming right now. The claim made by many comedians and made by many hungry fans is that comedians are the last group allowed to tell it like it is in a world gone soft. They're a mouthpiece of the impulsive thought voice that we all have in our brains, the one uh, society has taught us to soothe or silence. And with surgical clarity, they give us truth through humor in order to make us laugh in relief that our thoughts are not so crazy, our leaders really are idiots, and our differences really are stupid. I get it, and sometimes I even agree. But first, before you're thoughtful and provocative, before you're a voice anyone cares to hear commentary from, first, you have to be funny. In any discipline, there are people who will break the mold of their roles and excel. But I think we're living in a time where those extraordinary examples are so publicized that we forget how rare they truly are. To become the rule-breaking or envelope-pushing figure in your craft, you need to be at a level of mastery where breaking the rules is basically the last creative thing to do. So I buy that there's massive importance in having comedians who are in sacred roles, like a Chappelle, but I think everybody else needs to worry about being funny, and Tom Segura is peak funny to me. As far as making me laugh, I don't think there's anybody funnier than Tom out right now. I would shout out Ari Shafir and Shane Gillis for the two funniest specials that I've seen recently, and I'm a fan of guys like Ronnie Chang and Veer Das, but Tom is so good at stand-up and podcasting that I felt compelled to write a mini-investigative episode about it. I think there are six key things that make Tom Segura funny. I'll include an example or two for each of them. First, word choice. Word choice is always important for a comedian, but especially for Tom because he tells stories, not just straight jokes. And I think his skill comes from just being a dude talking smack in football practice. He sort of says as much in his book, I'd Like to Play Alone, Please. He's quick to the draw and that translates well to the page, to the stage, and also to his podcasts. Your Mom's House with his wife and fellow comedian Christina P. And Two Bears, One Cave with his best friend Brent Kersher. Shout out to Brent and his movie, The Machines Within, which comes out in May. But uh, being fast isn't any good if your reply falls flat. So the skill and the humor really lies in choosing the proper diction. One of my favorite examples comes from his special, Ball Hog. Of the several hundred that now exist. I would like it to be clear where I stand. I have no problem calling anybody anything they wish to be called. It is no burden on me. You can identify as a shoelace if you want to. And I will call you Zippity Zimzer if you ask me to. Do I think it's a little silly? Yeah, but so is badminton, and that's an Olympic event, you know? So. This isn't even really a punchline, but Tom walks a thin line here. I'm not one for the pronoun jokes. I think they're tired and lazy, but that's why shoelace works for me. Leaning into the absurd by saying something like unicorn or helicopter insinuates that the whole idea is absurd, which undermines the point he is making about respecting those pronouns. But shoelace is still strange and harmless. It's light, it's loose, it's funny because it isn't as aggressive, and that's a rare choice for Tom. 
making it unexpected for the audience, and that's what humor is, the unexpected thing. I think a less experienced comedian pulls the trigger here and makes an unnecessary risk by taking an unnecessary shot because they're desperate for a laugh. They want to go for it. But Tom doesn't get greedy and makes a wiser choice in not overreaching to hit an easy laugh. That patience and timing obviously takes time to hone, but it's something Tom really has on lock. In front of an audience is one thing, knowing how to pause, not fearing silence, and when to keep swinging. I think in front of an audience that can become easier because you have an atmospheric awareness of where to pull back or barrel onwards, and oftentimes comedians are presenting material that they've run hundreds of times, which is to say material they've got lots of experience with. But the example I want to use here is from Tom and Brett on an episode of Two Bears, where Tom times his response perfectly to bringing a second tsunami of laughter out of Bert. On a wait, would be like 2.15. Okay. And like people would be like, God damn, he's got big arms. And they're like, show shit, is that Bert? And everyone's like, oh my God, what happened to him? Oh, Leanne, um, he... Leanne kicked him out of the house because he hit her or something. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great example. That was the only thing I think. That's the only logical thing. I was like, I'd never cheat on her. I'd never cheat on her. Like she cheated on You would hit her. I'd hit her a clue. I'd hit her before I cheated on her. Where do you think you would hit her? So you can't see it on this podcast, but if you go check out the episode on YouTube, which I'll include a link to, uh, you can watch Tom recover from the initial bout of laughter, and you can see in his eyes the sniper-esque calculation of what to hit Bert with to make him keep laughing. It's a succinct delivery timed perfectly. All of us have been in a situation where there's a huge laugh, and right as it's about to end, a window appears for somebody to say the exact right thing to keep it going. And all of us have seen people stumble or stumbled ourselves in trying to keep that laugh alive for a little longer. Tom doesn't. And I know there are areas of comedy where you can improve over time, but I think this is one spot where you either have to have a knack for it or you don't have that. But those two things are basically givens for most top-tier comedians. Tom really finds his home in enjoying the disgust and disapproval of others. For anyone who knows YMH's horrible or hilarious uh, section or has experienced the heavy segment on a YMH Live, Tom's ability to find truly repulsive content is not new. For many of us, it serves as a wish I could look away but can't 
torture of horror. It truly lowers the audience's collective mood and yet somehow nurtures a pervasive and perverse hilarity. I think the point here is not just that Tom enjoys finding videos of tragic injuries and violent deaths, but there's a lot of people who like that and aren't funny or sane. The real point is that Tom has no problem ruining a moment. Here's the closing moments of an episode with his mom and auntie that came out not too long after his father had passed away. A father who he was very close to and loved him very much and seemed to love his mom very much as well. You know, the one thing is, I actually talk to him all the time, even when I was coming here. I was having a hard time coming here. I said, if I'm going to go and do this thing, I heard him telling me, it's for Christina for best boy, so just go ahead and do it. I'm asking you. I hear his voice, and I try to please him, and I turn around, I cannot touch him. You're doing great, Mom. You're doing great. Well, you're doing it, and I... No, I'm you glad guys, you did. Now I'm drunk. Yeah, and most importantly, we need you to do some line reads. Could you fucking pull it together for a second? Um, it's not going to get hard till I'm ready to come. Oh <laughs> what in the world? I'm crying here and throwing in salt. I'm fucking... I am sweating. Sweating like a, the like white, a black man. Okay, let me tell you one thing first. Yeah. The white cream yeah. is increasing. Okay. okay. In case it wasn't clear what just happened, his mother, Charo was fighting back tears as she lovingly remembered her dead husband. If you go watch the episode, even Christina is feeling the emotion of that moment, and Tom mercilessly tells her to pull it together. Imagine doing that to your mom after your dad just died. Crazy. But the core of humor is the unexpected nature of a punchline, and nobody expected that. In fact, because Tom has no fear of ruining moments, he can mine humor out of situations that most people are way too scared to attempt. Here's another example. As a guest on Christina's podcast, Where My Mom's At, Tom's got to navigate a more serious conversation with his wife about being a dad and their evolving relationship as parents. It remains one of my favorite podcasts ever, as both of them got to be more authentically themselves without any pressure to be funny. After a wholesome hour of great conversation, the episode closes like this. For joining, uh, it's a very meaningful conversation. But no, seriously, thank you for coming. Yeah. Uh, I look forward to seeing you at home in about an hour or so. <laughs> okay. I'll I love you. you. I love you too. And is there any final words you have for the audience? It's for dinner, bitch. Okay. <laughs> Until next time. <laughs> Stay cool, Ma. I'm going to posit a quick theory here. That part of why Tom does this is because he finds comfort in being funny and is maybe slightly uncomfortable being completely transparent publicly, which is reasonable, but it is funny. And I remember laughing out loud when I first watched it. Besides ruining a moment, Tom has a comfort with taking jokes further without falling into direct cruelty, although I'm sure he has. Well, Maybe some people would see it as cruel, but I don't think Tom minds taking the risk of going over the limit. I think he manages to at least live in the in-between space where those of us more inclined to dark humor can still laugh. On episode 1405 of Rogan's podcast, After a Sober October, 
he said this. I find it like almost more permissible, forgivable in a way to say like this woman's getting breast implants. You go like, okay. Yeah. But like if a guy's like, oh, I got pec implants. Ooh, and, no. and, wrong with just yeah. to fucking push on. Yeah, exactly. I, knew a dude, yeah. like, I knew a dude who had pec implants. He had a, he had a bunch of stuff done. I know a guy who got pack sure implants, and you know what I did when I saw him? What? Something that I never do, which what? is pat him on the chest. <laughs> and I didn't know he had surgery the day before. <gasps> and I was like, good to see. He was like, <laughs> like basically almost started weeping. And that's the only reason he, no one wants to confess that. I go, the guy that I know killed himself. Oh, really? Yeah, he, he was getting a bunch of plastic surgery. Wow. I'm just killing himself. This guy should. He <laughs> fucking... <laughs> <laughs> he, you know, Tommy Look. Whatever you think of that joke, I know I wouldn't have made it, but it's precisely because I wouldn't have made it that I ended up laughing when he said it. Tom does not care about taking the risk. It's not bravery exactly, but I think it illustrates a point that everyone who wants to do real comedy should take into account that you have to take the risk to go for the joke. You have to fail. That's where the funny lives. That's where the growth as a comedian lives. I think I'd even say the same is true for any creative work. Get so comfortable with taking a risk that it becomes normal and you'll end up doing truly new and unexpected work in whatever the field you're working in is. Okay, on to the next one. This is sort of a side note because I can't think of a way to show this to you on a podcast, but Tom maintains a mostly neutral facial expression. He's a mellow dude. He once said he was born to chill, which I like. And sometimes he doesn't even look up when he's speaking to someone to signal that he's listening to them. But even his most expressive faces aren't theatrical. It gives Tom a sort of serial killer vibe, as Bill Burr notes. What the fuck you even fucking ask me if you, you do that? That gets you nothing. Yeah. Yeah, we, we all are glad that you're not such an asshole. But, um, Tom, that, yeah. if you think I'm... You've always had that serial killer vibe. I know you look like Burl Ives, so no one thinks that you're fucking dangerous. I would not want to go to sleep in a house you were in. He'd probably kill you with that. Have a holly jolly Christmas playing in the background. And he's standing there in some... Fucking sadomasochist slash holiday outfit. <laughs> look, look, I gotta, I gotta show you something. No, you don't. Christina points out on one episode of YMH that this is in part because of his beard. Have a beard. I've just thought that for the last fifteen this years, this was a funny one. This was true. This is very true. That he just didn't have many range of emotions. <laughs> it's not true. He actually is expressive. But you can't see it under the... Be- I'm serious. It's, like this he, is absolutely he literally, true. like, the first day or two, I was like, whoa, yeah, she was easy. Like, Where's all this emotion coming from? And I was like, what? And it's always goes, been there. She goes, I, I didn't realize. But, like, just him smiling or laughing at chuckling at something, and I was like, whoa. It's, Christina, it's so true. Do yeah. you want him to have the beard again? No. I mean, I want to see his... <laughs> we what want him to that? see his face. The economy of expressions means he can actually hit harder by doing less. And his judgmental expressions land with much more authority. We feel more condemnation from his disgust or condescension because it seems like he really means it. In fact, he wouldn't have shown it if it was mild because of how mild his face is normally. Tom presents as a person with standards of decency about how the world should work. And when he points out comedically 
somebody violating those standards, we laugh at his aggression and at the absurdity of the man versus society conflict. Sometimes we see ourselves in the degenerates that he speaks about, and it tickles us to know how stupid or crazy we actually are. And other times we align with his perspective and laugh at society's insanity and how judgmental we've all become. His bank joke from his last special is a really good example of this. Well, I saw him. We made eye contact. I don't know how you work. For me, if we make eye contact during the day, not at night, but during the day, <laughs> out of human decency, I acknowledge you. So that's what I did. We made eye contact, and I go, how you doing? And he went... And I was like, okay. So... Then I get to the second set of doors to walk in. And as I reach for that door, I hear, uh, you going to the bank? I go, is this still a bank? He goes, yeah. I go, I'd like to. And he goes, go for it. And I was like, okay, thanks. And then I reach back. And he goes, uh, I'm going to Virginia next week. Are you telling me that? He goes, you said, how you doing when you got here? I had to think about it. That's what I'm doing. I go, that's the craziest shit I've ever heard anybody say. And also not how that question works, but all right. And now I reach back and he goes, yeah, my sister lives there. And I'm like... How long she lived there? <laughs> now I'm roped in. He goes, 15 years. And I go, you've never been? He goes, uh-uh. <laughs> now I'm starting to look at him like, hey man, do you drive to work or does somebody drop you off? You know what I mean? <laughs> I think he got... <laughs> I think he could see it in my face because out of nowhere he goes, I drive. I was like, that's cool, man. That's cool. I drive too, that's crazy. Uh, I gotta get in here. He goes, yeah, we're gonna check out DC and we're gonna see some monuments. I go, I would love to hear about it, but I have to make a deposit. He goes, well, I'll be here when you walk out. I go, you motherfucker. <laughs> Fuck that guy and fuck everybody like him. If you have the audacity to tell people how you're doing when they say, how you doing, that shit is rude and selfish, all right? I'm serious. There are two acceptable answers to how you're doing. Fine and great. And if you're miserable, you say fine. You don't burden people with your real world problems during a courteous exchange. I actually think the explanation at the end of the joke is a very Tom thing. It is funny without explaining it, but by adding it in, you get a universalization of the maxim that the story illustrated. And we all get to feel like we are in the in-group, Tom's in-group, the real one with real, reasonable and honest and decent, normal people. Although it's not the fulcrum of the joke, Part of being in the in-group is a sense of relief that we're not in the out-group. Most of us need that assurance, and a small part of why we laugh is in that relief. Okay, last thing. This one is for more serious fans. 
It's not just anybody that can come along and rope you into believing and laughing with their worldview and similarly disparage you for being fat and poor, which Tom and Christina both enjoy doing. Tom gets to be both the merciless comedian and the voice of reason comedian because we get a sense that Tom is actually a good dude. I leave this point last because he can be funny without you being an ultra fan and knowing anything about his real views on the world. Tom was both very poor and very fat, and while he rips on both of those traits, if you listen to more of his podcasts, you see that there's a much more genuine understanding of the situation. I really enjoyed his Two Bears podcast with Mark Bell, where he discussed being overweight and getting healthy in a nuanced way. Tell gyms. Yeah. And you see it where you go, you see somebody and they're like touching like the dumbbell or the machine and they're like, and you're like, um, do you know what to do with that? <laughs> and they're like, no. Like, right. So people, some people don't know. Right. But you brought this up when we were at your place, which is that uh, some people, you're like, man, they're not even lazy or shitty. They're just like, they're in pain. Like they don't even they're they're they don't want to try doing the thing because everything hurts on them, which I think is a very like sympathetic way to look at people out there. Not just be like, oh, you're a fucking loser. You sit on your couch. Like right. some people just don't. They're they're in a painful place, um, and they need help or encouragement or like somebody that can like gently get them into being active. You need to almost take people's hand and say, it's going to be okay. You can do this. Yeah, most people can run. Most people would say, oh, I can't do that. If they saw you running, they would say, I can't do that. But if they just go really, really slow and take their time and only run for 10 feet at a time, like I'm sure that. they can figure it out. Um, my own mother, you know, she, she died about four years ago. And she was very heavy most of her life. She was also abused mentally. She was abused sexually uh, from, from the time of being like a young child. So... There are, there's a lot of uh, emotional pain that people are walking around with. Absolutely. She, my mother was so amazing and incredible, though, at instilling confidence in me and my brothers to the point where we're kind of blindly confident for some stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but my mom wasn't confident in herself enough to take steps to do certain things, even something simple like going for a walk. The last couple of years of her life, she was on a walker. And, you know, I got to see that firsthand. And so I, I, that's why I'm so passionate about this stuff. I want to help people. I want to help the people that are, that are really stuck. They're stuck in their own mind. I believe their, you. On their thoughts. They're in a lot of pain. And I, uh, I empathize with that. But at the same time, I also really think that just about anyone can, can take that first step. But it does take a lot of courage. His podcast with Ethan Supley is also a deeper conversation on eating and weight gain that addresses both topics with care. And I thought his Two Bears rant on mindset was a bit of a hidden gem for anyone who cared enough to listen through their own feelings. Every time we talk about like a watch or a car, I'll get us uh, like a, a bunch of messages from losers that that try to tell me that mm -hmm. I'm I'm making them feel bad about their situation. You're in control of your own situation and your own feelings. So don't put it on me that you feel bad, that I have something that, oh, but I, I'm struggling with rent this month. Figure it the fuck out, okay? Like, don't make my life be a problem for your life. If you don't like it, 
guess what? You're not going to be able to control what people talk about. People are going to talk about things that you don't have for the rest of your fucking life. So you can decide like, okay, I won't, li- fine, don't listen to me, don't listen to that person anymore, but you have to control your own feelings, okay? It's not on other people to make sure they don't talk about a topic that makes you feel bad, all right? Like, I lost 20 grand gambling this weekend. Go ahead. You get to choose to be one of the two people. You can be the person that sticks in the fucking hole and goes, woe is me, or you can be the person that goes, Oh, that's cool. I want that shit. Sure. I want yeah. to work to get that shit. I Listen, love this party. I, uh, I, I was the same way that you were when I was broke. I, I never got mad at yeah. somebody who was like, here's my 9-11 or here's my Rolex, whatever. I mean, yeah. I'd watch those. I'd be like, that's awesome. I hope I can get that. You know? yeah. Or I'm, I want to work towards that. There's still stuff I hope I can get. Here's the thing. If you're, if you're still mad about this, just know that it's your mindset and you're thinking like a fucking loser. But... You don't have to. You don't. You can change the way you think, but you have to accept the way you're thinking right now is not going to get you anywhere. You're being bitter, you're being petty, you're insecure, you're not confident, and you can change that, but you have to be proactive. If you just sit around and you you know what? You only have what you have because of fans, so don't talk about us like that. Yeah, but you're still a loser if you're thinking like that. So you're maybe... uh, I'm lucky to have you as a loser fan, but... You don't have to be that way. You could be a winner. You know, you just got to change the way you think. Tom's got a considered take on a lot of his more aggressive comedic bedrock. I enjoy his jokes more and offer him more credit because I understand that every comedic thing I see on YMH, on a podcast, on a Netflix special is really an enhanced version of Tom's personality. I think people who would rant against Tom or comedians like Tom would find themselves without ground to stand on if they engaged with his more thoughtful moments. But that's what makes Tom Segura funny. The serial killer mixed with the decent everyman. The judgmental bearded white guy crossed with the vulgar disgust-loving kid. He's the funniest out right now. And on a slightly different note, Tom actually put up some spoken word poetry on his story a few days ago. I don't know if he knows that's what that was. I know he's made fun of spoken word before. I know why Tom Segura is funny, and I hope he knows he doesn't really have to be. I think Tom has the ability to be a serious thinker and conversationalist, bring back Tom Talks. He doesn't have to do that, and I look forward to him being, you know, more comfortable doing it if he wants to, but I think he'd be great at it. Anyway, I'll see you guys next time. And for Tom, thanks for the laughter and for the inspiration. I appreciate you, big dog.